This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And real quick before we get started, got to thank our friends at QuickTrack for making this episode possible today. QuickTrack is the first app of its kind. It's an easy-to-use mobile app that allows anyone to create contracts for anything you need. So for all you freelancers out there, listen up. QuickTrack is about to make your life so much easier. It lets you request amendments if the job changes along the way. You can get paid upon completion, and it gives you a full freelance directory to advertise your own work. And as my own boss, QuickTrack is definitely my favorite app to use on my phone because it makes my job so much easier. Make everything official, protect your work, get it done. Go download the QuickTrack app right now in the App Store. QuickTrack, Q-U-I-K-T-R-A-C-T, QuickTrack. I just thought, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. So I actually went to him as the coach and said, I'm going home, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And he was like, okay, off you go. But I, I needed people to really call my BS on me. I needed people to say, what do you want? Like, what do you really want? Like, now's the time to, you know, grow up, have a look at what you're doing, have a look at the opportunities in front of you. Well, today's a special day. It's our first Monday morning episode of the After Orange Slices podcast. So welcome if you're listening and thanks for subscribing. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the love and support uh, from you guys. So we're just going to get straight to the interview because today on the podcast, I've got Louise Dobson, Caller Lou, who is an incredible woman. She's talking to us all the way from Australia. Power of technology, am I right? Uh, she's a dual Olympian. She was part of the gold medal Hockeroos team to win at the 1996 Summer Games in Atlanta. So she plays field hockey. And of course, in Australia, they just call it hockey because they don't have ice hockey. So when you hear us to hockey, uh, you know what we're talking about. Out. But an incredible woman who talks about her triumphs as an Olympian and also having to miss the Sydney Games. When she wanted to quit and say she was done with field hockey, well, she persevered. And here we go. I can't wait to introduce you to Lou. Well, hey, Lou, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you um, from halfway around the world. You're in Australia. This is awesome. That's a first for me. So welcome. Hi, Bridget. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here with you as well. I know we were just talking about technology. It's crazy how we can just link in. I'm sitting here in the, in, on a Wednesday morning in, uh, in Canberra, Australia, and it's in the middle of spring and you're in California. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, totally. But it feel it feels like spring here. I know. Yeah, it's so funny. Like I think about um, how you guys have you know opposite seasons of us. Um, you know, and Christmas is coming up. Holidays are coming up. This has nothing to do with sports. But I'm just curious, what is your Christmas like <laughs> since it's that summertime season for you? Yeah, for sure. So obviously, spring's just starting now. So which is which is a gorgeous time here in Canberra. Canberra 
is very much a leafy, it's, it's the capital of Australia, it's very much a leafy um, city, so lots of trees, beautiful green, the gardens are really flourishing, so it's beautiful to see after winter. And for summer, it's about going to the beach house for us. We're, we're very fortunate enough to have a holiday house in Queensland, um, which is in the northern part of Australia, so it's very much a lifestyle of being on the beach, um, up early in the mornings, you know, going for a run, going for a jog, yeah. going for a walk, whatever that looks like. But we, that's our main break for our children from school. So my children finish school on the first week of December and we don't go back to school until early February in 2020. So, um, yeah, Christmas is really a, a, a big break for Australia generally and, and we really look forward to that time. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. Do you ever put out, like, kind of ironic decorations where you put out fake snow or anything? <laughs> Um, not so much fake snow, but the kids do love when I mean, we go a bit crazy with the with the Christmas tree. And I, I mean, I used to come to the States for work quite a bit. And I always loved coming around Christmas time because you guys do it so well. Totally. I just, I want to bring my children to America for a Christmas one time because I, I do envy the amount of work that the Americans go to for Christmas. Um, we probably don't do it as much as what you guys do, but we certainly still have a great time. And often it's out on the, on the beach in the afternoon, throwing the ball or going for a swim. Um, but very relaxed. But again, like everybody, bringing family together and just enjoying having that time together, which is always great. Yeah. I mean, because I even think it's ironic here in Southern California that we put out snow and the big trees <laughs> and everything. And I'm like, it's 70 degrees out, but all right. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, well, let's get into your background. I mean, you are an amazing yeah. woman and, um, you know, you've done so much. And I think that we forget, especially with Olympians, that um, with being an athlete comes the other side of things. I mean, you're at the Olympics for that couple of weeks and then you're off um, for what? I guess, four years in between. Um, yeah. And I'm assuming, you know, training, you've got certain tournaments and championships in between then. But there's another aspect of life for you. Um, so walk me through what being, do you guys call it just hockey or do you call it field hockey? Uh, we call it hockey okay. because we obviously don't right. have you don't have your, you don't have our don't hockey. Have hockey yeah yeah so yeah <laughs> so you guys don't have ice hockey so I know you guys call it hockey but for the listeners it is field sure. hockey uh, for the American yeah. listeners um what does an Olympic hockey player schedule look like when you are not playing in the Olympics yeah sure look it's, and, and just to give you a bit of an idea my career really started quite a few years ago now I've been retired for quite some time um, my career really started I would say back in the late 90s when I actually was fortunate enough to go to the Atlanta Olympic Games um, in Georgia Atlanta which was amazing and if I take you back a couple of years prior to that um, was the first time I was sort of taken into the Australian Olympic squad so the senior squad for the Australian Hockey Roos. That was the name of our hockey team and still is today, which we, we love. Yeah, I was wondering what that was because I saw the Hockey Roos yeah. and I was like, what are the yeah. Hockey Roos? <laughs> well, that's who we are, Australian Women's Field Hockey Team. Um, and yeah, we had to basically base ourselves at the Australian Institute of Sport, which is our high performance centre for hockey, um, on the other side of Australia, Western Australia and Perth. And that's where we were basically based in the year leading up to the Olympic Games. So it's an amateur sport to start with, Bridge. So there's no money in what we do. It's purely for the love. <laughs> it's purely for the love, which um, which is a great thing. But, you know, that we can talk about it later, but that does come with a consequence later in life as well. But it is about being a full-time athlete. Um, 
yes, you're right. We have to wait four years for every Olympic Games, but we are fortunate there are that there are tournaments pretty much every year on top of that. So there are there's a World Cup. Um, they have a pro hockey league now, World Hockey League. So there's different tournaments that are going on all the time. So there's always a major tournament every year. Um, when we were playing, you weren't in Australia any more than six weeks at a time. So right, wow, exactly. Like, gosh, that's just nuts to me. Yeah, yeah. So to be able to work um, was very difficult, and the fact that we uh, Australia is such a big country like the US we were based on the other side of the country. So we were constantly traveling. It's not like we were only a two hour drive yeah. to be home. Um, that made it really difficult as well. But um, you know what? I wouldn't change anything about what I had. I certainly had lots of ups and downs during that time. Um, I had 10 years in the Australian team, which I absolutely loved. Um, went to two Olympic games. I missed one Olympic games, which was a really difficult time, but Hey, I went to the absolute top. I was fortunate enough to win Olympic gold with my teammates in Atlanta I then had the devastation of watching my teammates win an Olympic gold medal in Sydney, which I wasn't part of. And then after Sydney, we had such a major turnaround in, in athletes because, as you can imagine, having a home Olympics, a lot of athletes wanted to stay on and be part of that home Olympics. Um, on top of being the number one team in the world, um, was such a, 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 just an exciting time for our group. And then after that, we had 15, uh, sorry, we had 11 out of 16 players retire from the Sydney wow. Olympic Games, so massive turnover, as you would expect after a, a country's home Olympics, and that happened in a lot of sports. So we went through a massive, you know, a rebuilding phase during that time leading up to the Athens Olympics. Um, I was very fortunate to be part of that group. I, I worked myself very hard to be back into that group, not only in it, but play a real key leadership role within those four years. And certainly we, you know, we did, we did well, we should have done better than we did when we finished fifth, but you know, and you might say, well, fifth is still good. And yes, it is. But when you've been the number one team in the world, <laughs> you, you want a medal, you know, and, and, that, and that's the expectations and the benchmark that we set ourselves. So like many sports journeys, it, it comes with its ups and downs. And as I teach my kids now, being in sport, that's life. And it's life. It's whether it's sport and life, as you know, um, that's how we really find out what we're about when our backs are to the wall as well. Oh, 100%. And that's kind of what I was wondering about is that when you're an amateur athlete, and I think so many people forget about this because, you know, it's it's kind of gone back and, and forth for different sports, whether you can be a pro athlete or an amateur athlete, all that kind of stuff. Um, but being an amateur athlete, obviously, you can't make money in your sport, obviously, outside. And you said at that point, there wasn't pro hockey. Um, so what, what yeah. were you doing to basically make ends meet to survive while you're yeah. still playing yeah absolutely I know well when we're in the lead up to the uh, Atlanta Olympic Games we were training six days a week so it's fair to say we really didn't have a social totally, life yeah. <laughs> um but we were give, basically it was uh it was funding from the government and we we literally lived off 400 Australian dollars a week which was nothing it's probably about 250 US I don't even know about that oh my that. gosh um and that had to literally cover our rent. We all lived, we just had to find our own homes or our own places to rent. That had to cover our rent, our petrol money, all those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, absolutely, it was a lot of, some people had funding from families. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be having, some, I had some sponsorship in the lead up to the Sydney Olympics. So I was able to do that. And then really athlete appearances where that was 
where that was possible. But again, really, really tough. And I think we look, you and I have been talking a bit earlier and, and we're doing this right now. Um, the leverage of technology <laughs> moving 20 years forward has now just opened up so many opportunities for athletes particularly to be able to have a bit of a better mix and have a, have a bit more of everything um, which makes them a whole lot more rounded and I think makes the athletes so much stronger than probably what we could have been at our time as well because they can have a bit of a better balance, which I think also helps when we're coming out the other end of it as well. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, so when you were first starting out, obviously leading up to your journey on the Olympic team, um, from what I read and learned you were on a junior national team or something, right? Yeah. Okay. So, how did you get to that level and know, holy cow, I'm special. I can make it to the Olympics. I'm going to make a life a life out of this. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I really it started when I was eight years of age. I remember when I was eight, and my I was watching the Olympic Games on TV, and I was sitting on my be- on my parents' lounge room floor watching a medal presentation. And it was at the Moscow Olympics many, many moons ago. My children would say in the olden days. And I watched this medal presentation and I just went, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I want to be an Olympic medalist one day. And ignorance on fire, you know, like had... Yeah, totally. Did you care what sport? Did you care what sport it was? Um, No, not at that stage. But I was fortunate enough to be... I grew up with field hockey. I have two older sisters and my mum played hockey and my dad played football. So Aussie rules football, not gridiron or not American football. Um, so I just, it was just part of our family. We rode horses. We, we played softball. We played tennis. We played hockey. We were a sporting family. So I've been the youngest of three, got dragged to everything. So, um, and then fast forward on from that, my sister who, Christine, who was six years older than me, she really paved, paved the way for me because she also went to the Olympic Games in Barcelona in 1992. Um, so I had that opportunity to really have a better understanding of what was it going to take and what did that, what did that platform look like if I wanted to go down the path of being an elite athlete? Um, so I was very lucky to have that. And I, and I say that to, to kids now when I go out and speak at schools is the importance of having mentors around you. And I think even in business and in life, it's not just kids having people to look up to, but you know, it's important to have good people around you in all facets of what you're doing so you can learn from them. So, um, you know, that really sort of was the first part of it and having my sister Christine to really paint that sort of vehicle for me. And then, as you said, I was fortunate enough to be part of the Junior World Cup team, which um, is our under 21 Australian team, where we um, played in the Junior World Cup. And at that point, um, I got selected in the following year to be part of the Australian women's senior, senior squad which was the dream because I wanted to, you know, I said that when I was younger. And so that entailed me to to move across to Western Australia in Perth and be part of this, the big girls group, so to speak. Um, And it was interesting, Bridge, because after four months, I actually went to our coach, Rick Charlesworth, who's very well known here in Australia. He was an Olympian with the men's hockey team, um, a member of our federal parliament, um, a doctor, um, played very high level cricket here. So very, very, very talented man. Um, he was our coach as well. And after three or four months with this squad, I just, I don't know. I just thought, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. So I actually went to him as the coach and said, I'm going home. I'm not, I'm not doing this. And he was like, okay, off you go. Um, you would have thought, you know, that's, you've been your childhood dream to get into that squad. And I actually pulled myself out of that squad. So 
yeah, I went back to Melbourne, um, where I lived on the other side of Australia, packed my bags and went home and probably didn't have the best attitude to be totally honest. Um, but I, I needed people to really, excuse my language, but call my BS on me. I needed people to say, what do you want? Like, what do you really want? Like now's the time to, you know, grow up, um, have a look at what you're doing, have a look at the opportunities in front of you. And, and, and I did that. I had some really good people around me, not people to tell me what I wanted to hear, but people that really questioned what I could do and questioned my values and questioned, um, you know, what was it that I actually wanted to really try and set out to achieve over the next couple of years. And that then led me to a real transition in, in my approach and my values, in my training. And I got a second opportunity. He rang, I got the opportunity to go back um, to tour with the Australian team into Atlanta in 1995 and, pr and play in the pre-Olympic tournament. And um, that was, uh, you know, not, not, we don't all get second chances. And I'm very, very grateful that, for that opportunity. Uh, and, you know, and from there, I, I got to be part of the world's best hockey, women's hockey team for the next sort of four or five years under that coach, which was an amazing time. Going to the Olympics, obviously such a magical time, winning a gold medal. Um, walk me through that gold medal moment for you, getting to stand up on the podium and realize you were the world's best. Yeah, it's, it's very, very surreal because as an athlete, as you would know, um, you don't really think about the outcome too. You know that it's there. You know what you're working towards. Don't get me wrong. You know what the goal is. But it's about coming, bringing yourself back and, and working through the path of what the next sort of six months looks like, what the, what the next week looks like. I'm really breaking that down. And, and we were trained, we were trained methodically to really be about that and to really push through, you know, push through those limits. And I think, as you know, to really achieve something um, like this, it's, it's stretching yourself. You have to become uncomfortable and you have to get comfortable with becoming uncomfortable in these sorts of situations. And that's something that we learned the whole way. And, and I would say we, at our trainings, our trainings over those four years or the six years would have been harder than the games we played because we covered every possible thing that could go wrong we did in games. You know, he wow. had us doing the most ridiculous things sometimes in training. And you think, why the hell am I doing this? But the reason for that was so that you could cope with whatever was thrown at you on the field. So when the opposition, you know, come up with a different play or whatever that might happen, it didn't, it didn't fragment us. We were so strong we were, that nothing you're, was going to... You were unfazed. Yeah, nothing was going to break this group. So leading into the Olympic Games, um, and as you say, life in the village is pretty... It's, a, it's such a surreal environment again, you know, and you come in, that's pretty crazy. We tend to be in there for about 10 days prior to the tournament starting because it's nice to get in early and get familiar with where the bus zones are and the food hall and all those things before it does get crazy. Um, and then our tournament goes for the whole two weeks as well. So oh, wow. you know, that, that, that's tough because in the, in week two, you've got, you look at the swimmers who just, yeah. you know, they only compete in week one. And then what else do you do when you finish? You party. Totally. They're done and just get to watch everyone else. Yeah. So they're coming home at three or four in the morning and, um, and it's very loud and you're trying to prepare for games. So there's so many different distractions going on all the time, but yeah, look, the, the, the round games were amazing. Atlanta was just such an amazing experience for us. Um, and, yeah, it was a really difficult tournament because we only had one pool. Every team was in one pool. So it was literally the top two played off the gold medal. 
And uh, we, a Korea at the time, South Korea, were our hardest competition. So we have played them in the round game and uh, we literally got away with a draw with 30 seconds to go in that game. And, um, and then, yeah, and then we, you know, obviously I remember playing against the Americans and they were very, you know, they were a great competition as well, but it was a really tense game for us because um, had we won that game, then we knew that the worst that we were going to take home was going to be a silver medal. So we were in the, we were in the final. So I actually remember, I remember at that time when we finished that game against the Americans and our coach, Rick Charlesworth, called us in and he never, he never gives us an inch of, of getting ahead of ourselves or just keeping everyone on task. And he, and he brought us in and he said, I want you guys to know now that you can, you know, you can pack your ceremonial tracksuit. And because at the Olympics, you get a tracksuit that you wear and you get a tracksuit that you get to go on the, the Olympic diet. So that was the moment that we kind of all went, oh my gosh, okay, this is very, you know, this is quite surreal now. And had to bring ourselves back in. Um, and then we went on to play South Korea in the final. And again, just like, it's just an epic, like just, it's, you know, when you're with your mates doing what you love and you are, you worked so hard for so many years. It was like, I mean, it sounds really corny. It was like going to war. Like we knew like in the village all day, people were saying, good luck guys, you know, have a great game, blah, blah, blah. And we had like loads of athletes, busloads of athletes that came out to the, out to the game, which was amazing. But people say to me, were you nervous? And I'm like, no, like we weren't nervous. We weren't arrogant, but we knew of what we were capable of. And as I said, with all the training, we had done all the work. Now it was about execution. We knew what, we, what each and every one of us could bring to the table that night. And, um, you know, that final came down like the round game. It came down to, you know, the last minute or so of the game. And, and that's, you know, when I look back now, the work that we had done, even in that sort of four to five year period leading up to those Olympic Games, the work to win that gold medal literally came down to a minute, literally of, of within a two minute cycle because we won it within the first, won it within 30 seconds in the round game. And then we literally got ahead with the last couple of minutes to go in the Olympic final. So, you know, the importance of every, every play, the importance of every opportunity in sport is so vital because it just showed that within a four to five year period, winning that gold medal came down to literally two minutes of play to get it to break this opposition. So um, it, was an, it was an intense game. And then, you know, just the pure elation of when it is over that you can allow yourself to just go there mentally and just go crazy um, was, an ama- was just amazing, you know, to have that time and to have, a, you know, a lot of the girls had their family there. Um, I would say to anyone listening with kids who want to aspire to be an Olympian, go into a team sport where you've got lots of people because obviously if you're only an individual athlete, you're up and down on that dais quickly. When there's 16 of you in a team, you get to stand up there for a long time. That's so, so true. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, was, that was the great thing. Is, and, you know, talking about what's gone on in the four years leading up, five years leading up, really being on that dais is the time to reflect on your family, on the girls who you're, that you're actually sharing that with. No one actually truly understands that. But also the girls that had missed out. Like yeah. we had players that were sitting in the stands who had been watching that. So it was Ugh. a time to really just to, to reflect and be so grateful for the support of not only the 16 who won that medal, but the actual squad of 24 that made us so strong to be the 16 chosen to, to represent Australia at those Olympic Games as well. That's such an incredible moment. I just feel like I was there thinking of it. <laughs> um, and then obviously... 
you suffered an injury following the Olympics that led to you not being able to compete with your team in your home country in the Sydney Olympics. Um, what was that moment like for you when you realized this isn't going to happen for me and I'm going to have to miss this one? Yeah, look, it had been really tough, Bridget. I had had over those four years, um, I'd had a number of injuries. I had two shoulder reconstructions, arthroscopic recos. Um, I was struggling with really back, a bad chronic back injury as well. So, um, you know, as an example, just traveling from one side of Australia to the other on a flight was really quite, became quite difficult for me. So, um, yeah, look, it, it was a really tough, it was a really tough thing to sort of go through. Um, I was fortunate enough by the time we got to 2000, I mean, the media always loved to write things. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and I certainly had my my fair share of injuries during that time, like more so niggling injury. I mean, the, the reconstructions were more of a four-month period. It was over the Christmas period, so it wasn't too bad. Um, don't get me wrong, I was fit and able to play in those Sydney Olympic Games, but I just, I just didn't make the final cut. And I think... You know, some of those injuries, I've missed some some major tournaments, the World Cup in 98. I've missed different tournaments. So that that did have an effect on it. But, yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, my parents, when it, when it was announced that Sydney had the Olympic Games in 1993, my parents booked their accommodation in 1993. So can you imagine having to then oh. tell my parents, hey, you know that holiday you booked seven years ago? It ain't happening. I mean, it might happen, but you won't see me on the field. Um, that was a really, that was a really tough thing to have to, for me to have to go through. I just felt terribly bad for them, but you know, they had seen me win. I mean, I was so lucky because there were girls that, who sat and watched, you know, a gold medal be won and not be part of it in 96. And some of those girls, unfortunately had to do the same thing in 2000. So they had watched two gold medals go past their nose, which is really, really tough for them to have to deal with. Um, yeah, I, I, I just didn't, at the end of the day, that's one of the downsides of being part of the best team in the world is that only 16 people get to go in that team. Um, myself and probably two, uh, two or three other girls in the, in the lineup who were number 17, 18, 19 and 20 would have made the starting lineup for the second team in the world, you know? So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, this happens. These are some of the downsides in sport that happen. Yes, it's hard to deal with. But it's about how you come back from that. And, and that's something that I was really conscious about, um, being part of that next group for 2004 in Athens. And, and again, a bit like when I pulled myself out of the squad, um, having good people around me to say, well, what do you actually want to do? Do you want to have another gold, winning another gold medal? And how are you going to be more significant in this group moving forward? So um, it was a really tough time, um, but, you know, we're, we're a very, very close group. And at the end of the day, you just, you just need the best. You need the best 16 to be there. It was tough. I was getting calls from my coach even days just leading up to the Sydney Olympics saying, you know, we've got an injury. I need you to be doing this, doing that. So it's hard because mentally you're like, leave me alone. But then there's a, there's a, a snippet of maybe there's a, there's a hope. So um it, it's tough but hey that's elite sport and that's that's some of, that's some of the downsides we do have to go through absolutely well and that probably kind of prepared you for life after your sport was done and knowing what the downfall of not identifying as an athlete was going to be yeah look that was um 
Yeah, you're right. It, it does. You, you have to sort of, okay, you've got to be, dig deep there. I mean, I came out of, I went on and played in the Athens Olympic Games, as I said earlier. And um, at that point, we had another new coach. I was 32. I, I knew I'd had enough. I was counting the last, you know, sort of 60 days leading into the Olympics. So, so I you're knew ready for time. retirement. Absolutely. I was ready for retirement. Um and but I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know. Again, because we had it was hard to work during what we were playing. I was doing some marketing roles, more part time roles in, in different jobs as well. Didn't continue with my study, which um, I didn't really love study. But looking back now, as a wise mother, <laughs> it would have been good to do that. Um, but I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Like seriously, what am I now going to going to do? And I think you know you have to really reflect on certain things about as you say what are you what's what are you passionate about you know what are the what are your values like what do you actually value about life you know what is it in life that you value and, and also your vision of what that you want that to be and it took me about six months to really work out a lot of that of what that was about um for me I knew I loved being with people I really enjoyed being around people so and I love to talk to people so I knew that that was one facet that I really loved I loved competing um, I love just, you know, just development opportunities. So I actually took on a couple of things. A girlfriend and I had very, she worked in magazine and she was an editor for one of the national magazines here in Australia. And before we went to the Olympics, she said, I said, you know what? We just can't find a really good sunscreen foundation. This was before the days of CC and BB creams. She goes, when you come back from the Olympics, we should do something. I said, okay, let's just do it. We had no idea. Ignorance on fire again. So we started this brand called Hissy Fit and it actually went to America. That's and awesome. um, we had Reggie Wells, who was Oprah's makeup artist. He actually came out to Australia and launched the, the brand. And it was around this time of the year, actually, because it was during our spring racing carnival that's happening now in Australia with the Melbourne Cup. And we had uh, Hissy Fit, which was a, a great company that we did that for a few years and sold off very successfully. And at the same time, I got myself into corporate Australia. So worked in um, account management roles in business development, which I really, really loved. And what I worked out very quickly when I was working at my values and one thing that one of the girls in our team said, who is a three-time Olympic gold medalist, Rochelle Hawke, she said to me, you know what, we're never going to play in front of 20,000 people again. But what we do have to do is we need to find things that give us regular hits along the way. And that's something that I always hold in my mind. Um, I could never, you know, I could never actually facilitate another game of hockey in an Olympic final. But what I can facilitate is actually how do I get, how do I have those, those hits all the time now in life after sport? And that's what I've really tried to do. Um, loved what I did in corporate Australia. Um, was that transition though into the corporate world? Was that kind of weird for you? It was because I had absolutely no experience, yeah. no experience at all. Um, I had an absolute passion um, to sort of jump in at the deep end I had a work ethic, of course, and I loved achieving goals. So all of the qualities and that makes a good athlete. Absolutely. And we are, we're that 5% of the population because we are quite different in what we do. So it's not necessarily about the degrees that you have. It's, it's really about the grit and determination that you can bring to the table. I think for people as well is, is so much more important than I think than what's on it, than really the, what's on a piece of paper as well. So um, absolutely loved, loved working in that corporate sector. Um, and then really in the last sort of few years, I've, I've had a bit of a switch again because I've, um, I now have a, I have a blended family. It's like the Brady Bunch. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, Love that show. And I have my little son as well. So I've met my gorgeous partner in, uh, in Canberra and we commuted for a few years. And I live here in Canberra now from Melbourne. 
and have three, he has three children and we have little Max together who's seven. So there's a whole big house of people now. And um, yeah, and I, I just, after corporate having Max, I, there was no way I was going back to that crazy lifestyle. I absolutely loved it when I could be just myself. Um, but when you have to be there to support a, a very busy partner and also, um, you know, run the household, I needed to have something that was more flexibility around that. And um, yeah, and, and now I've built myself a, an online global business, which I absolutely love, which I run from wherever I am. Um, and that's, you know, and I think, as you say, that's like online social marketing now is such a massive platform and technology that people can have what they want. And, and that's a great thing that I love about now is this, this is something where I get to actually, again, really protect my vision, but it's about, um, you know, servicing other people. I love servicing people. I love empowering other people who put so many crazy, you know, limitations on themselves for no other reason than what they've probably grown up to believe and that their role has to be in life, which is again, BS. Um, but I get to help other people have something more now than what they ever thought they were going to have and, and just, you know, facilitate and just service so many more, which I'm loving. All right, back to the show in a bit. But remember how I was telling you about Quick Track at the beginning of the podcast? Well, I just want to remind you, if you didn't download it before, go do it now. It's a free app that is the total freelancer solution to connect, agree, and get paid. With plug and play templates, QuickTrack is your simple solution to getting things in writing without the heavy handedness that comes along with all those traditional contracts we hate. It doesn't matter who you are, what your business is, QuickTrack is your easy solution. Download the QuickTrack app in your app store today for free. QuickTrack, Q-U-I-K-T-R-A-C-T, QuickTrack. Now, back to the show. What skills do you think best translate from your playing days on the field to now running your business online? Yeah, sure. Um, I think just, um, I mean, uh, consistency. I think like training, you have to go out there every day and you have to be consistent in what you do. Um, understanding that like even in training, you are going to go backwards before you go forwards. You know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall down. You have to learn to get up and go again. Um, and that's something when I was always learning a new skill or something that I might've done is sometimes you can shy away from that new skill because there's a tournament coming up in six months time. And if you start playing bad because you're trying to learn something new, you, you, you go, no, 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 I'm going to stay on the safe side of the, of the, of the table here. I'm not going to expose myself. And I think, you know, opening up and really exposing yourself and, and, you know, wanting to sort of continue to grow and improve is so, so important in that. Um, I would say, as I said, consistency, it's about grit, it's about determination, it's about wanting to, um, you know, for me now, it's about how can I, I was the selfish athlete for so many years, um, and you have to be, as an elite athlete, you have to be that, um, but now for me, it's, well, how can I actually help other people bring, bring something more to the table than what they thought they could have as well, and that's, you know, that's sort of what I love about it is regards to as you say, a lot of things I learned in sport in regards to determination, goal setting and having that vision and what is it that makes, what is it that makes a team? Like it's about leadership and it's about showing others how they can actually create that own leadership as well to fulfill their own, you know, their own team or whatever that may be as well. Right. And you're part of kind of a new team now, but that same teamwork that it takes to win. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it, it comes down to, and again, you talk about culture. I mean, that word can be used very, very freely. Um, 
I think it's really important. Again, it's about protecting your vision. It's about protecting what your values and, and what you're about and also the people that you're working with. I mean, you know, I was in the best hockey team in the world. Um, did I get along with everybody? Okay, not too bad. I wouldn't say, I lo- you know, we, didn't, we weren't best buddies. Did I respect everybody? Absolutely, I respected everybody because you must have that respect together. But we had a, we had a vision of where we were going. You know, we had a... We common this goal, sort of, yeah. Yeah, the common goal and the culture about what that group wanted to look like because if you need to have that really strong and, and a very, very clear understanding so that when, whether things are good or things are bad, you don't let it jolt you. You, it keep, you keep on track and you understand exactly what you're going, you know, what you're working towards as well. You talk about now serving others and being less of the selfish athlete because, I mean, exactly what you said, that's what you have to do to be the best in the world. Um, was there a time when the light bulb just went on for you and you realized, okay, I've kind of got to change my mentality and do things a little bit differently in my new routine of life? Um, yeah, I think you do. Like You'd certainly go through that in regards to what that actually looks like and and, and letting to let go of, as, as I said, we are a little bit left of center and we are very hard on ourselves at times totally um <laughs> I, I think I really found that I suppose first coming into corporate world because I obviously was very busy I was working a huge amount of hours didn't get as much time to go to training and do things didn't have to go to training so you have to change your mentality of well, okay it's, it's okay if you don't get to the gym today whereas that wasn't the case when we were playing um but then just changing that mentality and as you say then coming into life I've, I've now got children so that's takes a massive change as well um but I just wish I had have had this kind of opportunity when I was playing sport because I think that you know it's so I find transition and I see it and I've experienced it myself and seen it personally through my family um it is a really difficult time to come out the other end but I think part of that is it's not about when we come out it's what are we doing when we're actually in it you know how can we how can we actually prepare ourselves better for when we are in it. And that's why when I saw the opportunity that I'm doing now with my business, because I literally work 10 to 15 hours a week in and around everything else in my life. Like my children don't miss out. My children see exactly what I'm doing. Um, How could, you know, these are the sorts of opportunities that people like me, when I was playing amateur sport, particularly, or not even amateur sport, any sport, where they can actually start having another side income and building something for themselves and their family for, for later on. But um, and I think when you talk about the light bulb with this business was for me, I had, um, I had some girls that I was doing some training with in our team and they said, you know, if you could write a letter to the founder of this business, what would you say? And, and he, you know, he passed away like 10 years ago. And I thought, this is such a ridiculous question. Like, how can I, and I, I, mean, I was in Croatia at the time. It was two years ago. And I was, I, I took me a week. I was running and I was out running one day. I thought, how would I, what would I say? And I stopped and thought about it. I thought, you know what, in sport, um, I was fortunate enough, okay, I had a couple of injuries, but the lights of the stadium go out eventually. You know, we know that and you know that as well. Eventually the lights are going to go out. Whether you get to make that call and often that doesn't happen or somebody else makes that call, if someone makes it for you or it's an injury, inevitably the lights go out. Whereas in this business for me, the, I, the lights don't go out. I choose how big I want to make this business. I choose who I want as teammates. I get to decide what the vision is of where I'm going and how long that's going to go for. And that kind of at that point when I sat down and went, oh my God, like I actually didn't realize what this opportunity was about. 
until I stopped and thought about, about it in that capacity with sport and retirement and what this now looks like. That was a massive light bulb moment for me because this is something completely global that you can make as big or as little as you want as well. And yeah, just the, it's just made me a much better person as well. I think in, as I said, the person I am, the mum I am, the partner I am, but I just, I'm, I'm a completely different person than I was even four years ago. And I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. So to better prepare for your transition into the business world after retirement, um, what would you tell Lou maybe five years out before retirement, what would you tell young Lou about what you need to prepare for and to do differently? Absolutely. I think opportunities now of of networking are so much higher. So as an athlete, you know, sometimes going to functions was the last thing, (laughs) the last thing you felt like doing. Uh, I think it's really important to just be aware of those people around you in those situations. So whether you're playing um, it, you know, it, it might be connecting more with some of the sponsors in the sport that you might be involved with, or how can you, how can you surround yourself with these people outside of sport that are actually wanting to be involved with you and starting to build those networks. And if you can start connecting with people on a more regular basis and adding a, a wider network to your brim of people, um, that is a great asset to be able to do absolutely because then that is going to help you later on in life as well. Um, setting up opportunities like exactly what I'm doing now. There are so many different ways that people can be doing starting small businesses on a low, you know, a low startup cost um, that absolutely work in with the lifestyle of an athlete. You know, run, online online businesses are a perfect example that we've spoken about already today. So, you know, what's out there that can fit in with your time? And, you know, everyone says to me, and it's not just athletes. I mean, I have a lot of corporates as well who want to get out of that corporate sector. Um, you know, everyone's busy and everyone says, I don't have time. You know, we all say that. Not like no one says I've got, you know, and it's spare four hours today. Um, but, but what we do have is we have complete control of the time that we have and we have complete control over our diaries. So start thinking about, well, what could I actually do? What have I got? Not what can I deal with, but how much time do I have? And if that's half an hour a day or if it's, you know, an hour a day, then what does that actually look like? It could be just 15-minute pockets. Four 15-minute pockets in a day could actually help start you building an online income um, and an online business that you can leverage while you're still playing. And then you've got that transition. You've got great network of people as well. Um, and I think also just being, just just protect your vision, protect what your values are about. Don't, don't you know, be really diligent about protecting that because people love to um, give their opinion, which is totally fine, but you need to be really conscious of what's important to you and being really um, diligent about protecting that as well. Right. Absolutely. And I know a lot of um, professional athletes now have, you know, really said they've really written the more than an athlete. um, It's like a hashtag now and and it's a mantra for most people, but they're really uh, living that out because so many pro athletes are investing in real estate or upcoming companies or even esports because that's getting huge. Um, So I think that it's like even if you don't have like you're saying, like even if you say, oh, I don't have the time to fully start a business investing in other people's you know ventures and and things like that or um some people are going to harvard business school you know during the off season just like exploring other avenues like that i think is so important absolutely just as you say just trying to start understanding what you know where where you i suppose you, you 
um, passion is and things that really interest you. And there's, as you say, there's so many online courses, short courses that you can do, things like that. And tapping into, if you're sitting there as an athlete and you've got sponsors, if you're in a basketball you know, team or whatever it is, who's some of those people in those corporate networks within your safe environment now in your sport that you can tap into to say, hey, love to just have a coffee with you once a week or, you know, I'm, I'm mentoring an athlete going into Tokyo. Um, you know, people would love to, people would love to, to do that. So, you know, protect yourself, protect your IP, but who are the people that you trust? Um, let them into a certain area and really have a look at how you can actually do more with some of those people as well. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm always, I'm very passionate about working with athletes. So, you know, I'm always happy to speak to any athletes as well, any athletes as well, particularly because I've been there under that space like you, we understand what it's all about. Um, and that, yeah, what drives us as well. So it's just finding those mentors and online. That's such an easy platform now as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you bring that up, you know, Olympics are coming up. Gosh, I can't believe already next summer. Um, what what advice would you give to an Olympian who is like is coming up on their last games and getting ready to leave the sports world? Yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's a tough time because well, it's not tough. I think just enjoy it, really. Like, um, absolutely. Like, it's we're now down to like saying the Olympics are like ten or nine months away. Is like as an athlete, as you know, it's like next week. Totally. You know? Like, it's yeah, so, it's so yeah. soon. So you have to stay very focused in what that is that you're doing. Um, but start, absolutely, I would just, that's got to be the main focus, but I think it's important to have other elements around you. Don't just focus on that one element. Have some other things that you're doing as well if you can manage that. And as I said, it's not about um, trading time for money at all. It's not about taking you out of your training to go and do something, but tapping into some of those mentors around you to see what opportunities that there could be as well and, start to really um, think more about what that could actually look like as well for you and your family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we covered so much ground. Is there any, <laughs> like what, is there anything else that you want to mention to the listeners? Um, no, I don't think so. I just think this is such a great platform that you've created. Bridget. Oh, thank you. I know to have, um, to think that we're going through what 30 something countries you said, which is super, super, super exciting. Um, I know. And I just, you know, we are, I mean, I know it's just not athletes on here, but I am talking to the athletes that we are, as I said before, we are so unique in what we've done. Um, you know, don't, don't be hard on yourselves. It's in, in all that we've done. And sometimes we can be our worst enemy as well, but um, there are so many things out for out there for us, for each and every one of us to do. And I think just connecting with each other on these sorts of platforms that you've created is such an epic way to, to bring people together um, and I honestly, I'd be more than happy if anyone wants to reach out to me and just talk a bit more about what I'm doing um, as well as, and from a sport perspective, as I said, I'm mentoring a couple of athletes at the moment, which I absolutely love. Um, it's nice to have people outside sometimes just to give you a different perspective, but connecting with athletes globally is something that I'm really passionate about doing. So if there's some way in which um, something has resonated here with any of you, I'd absolutely love to chat further with you and, and just reach out. And again, it's just nice to connect with um, with with some some other athletes globally as well. Oh, big time! And I mean, kind of like what you're saying. I know it's hard sometimes to remember all that you've accomplished and that you've done so much that most people in this world would never had the chance to. And sometimes you just have to like look at yourself in the mirror and say, "Hey, I did this incredible thing. 
you know, most people would never have the chance to do. Most people would be would die on this floor to be able to, you know, have that opportunity. And sometimes it's like the little things, little times you got to remind yourself of those things to just keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, you know, how can you, how can you just, you know, make, I said, I always said to my kids, go make someone's day. My little one, he goes, okay. And I think I don't have to tell him to go and have a great day because if he does something where he can do something for somebody else and have an impact on somebody, I know he's had a great day. And that's, that's, that's really about what it's about is how can you take yourself from today to tomorrow to be, to, you know, at the end of the day to sit down and go, you know what, this is what I feel like I've achieved today. This has been a good part of today. This is what could have been a bit better, but that's about what, you know, it's just constantly sort of seeing where we're at and how can we get more out of where we want to be as well. So I just want to thank you so much for pulling this together and creating a, an awesome global platform for people like us because this is just something that I think we need and I think it's great that you're doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's nuts. Like, I mean, like I was telling you, I had no idea it was going to grow into this global thing. I just thought, oh, like, you know, let me talk about something that a lot of us needed to talk about. And then it just, you know, has grown into something that I think, yeah, we really need to have a conversation about. And yeah, it, it's like, it's not just athletes, I think, who it affects. It's like just talking about your experience um, could impact to somebody in who knows what way. Absolutely, absolutely. And hopefully, hopefully there's something that's resonated with people today. So thank you. Well, it was so great talking to you. I'm so glad yeah. that I finally got to have you on. And, I know. Um, like I, I said, know. you're welcome back anytime. So, <laughs> that's yeah. very kind of you. All right, Bridge, take care. Okay, before you go, make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already through whatever app you're listening to on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, Breaker, whatever it may be. And leave us a review, a five-star rating and a review. Tell us what you love about the show. I'd love to hear from you guys. Animal Chat with Dr. Matt, John Williams, and Dr. Matthew Holden. Every week with interviews with veterinarians and writers talking health issues, care for your pets and farm animals, along with real-life stories out in the fields, barns, and houses.